0: Let's return once again to the prophecy of Isaiah, this time to chapter 11. Here in chapter 11, Isaiah explains the reason for the hope that was promised to the people. There would be new life from a dead stump. This is the work of God. It is through him alone that we can have hope in this world of sin. So let's read about that hope. We'll read a little more of the context than what is in the liturgy or on the board. Let's read Isaiah 11, the first nine verses, with the focus on the first five. Isaiah 11, starting at verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the wean child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea." Word of the Lord. After the sermon, we will continue singing from hymn 19, the last two verses. Beloved in Christ our Lord, our text for today is a message of beauty, it's a message of hope. Few texts are more beloved than this one. It's a beautiful piece of prophetic poetry. It's an appropriate text as we reflect on the Christmas season that is winding down, as we look forward to the new year that is starting up. So let's dive right in. It was war. God's nation had crumbled under the persistent attacks of the ruthless Assyrian Empire. Listen to the graphic description from Isaiah 9, the context for our text today. So the Lord will cut off from Israel both head and tail, both palm, branch, and reed in a single day. By the wrath of the Lord Almighty, the land will be scorched, and the people will be fuel for the fire. The destruction wrought by the Assyrian Empire as a rod of punishment in the hand of Yahweh, is likened to the total destruction of a forest. First, this forest is clear-cut. Each and every tree is removed, chopped down at its base each and every tree, the young and the old alike. None would be spared this destruction. Instead of a lush green forest, there would be an empty field full of stumps. No life. Dead. After this clear-cutting, for good measure, there would be a raging fire to scorch any remnants of the land that had not been destroyed by the clear-cutting. The flames would rage, they would burn white-hot, and any hope of future growth would be gone. Now, one of you might say, this doesn't sound like a message of beauty or hope. This doesn't sound appropriate for the Christmas season, a season where the trees are brought into homes, unburned, twinkling with lights. But the true Christmas miracle that was preached from this pulpit last week, the true hope of Israel, the true hope of believers far and wide, including us here today, was a hope that came into a world in the midst of deep darkness in the midst of haunting hopelessness. This was hope that came out of devastation. Because you see, light shines so powerfully in the darkness. Hope is so needed in devastation. And far too often, we don't realize that we need that hope too. We don't realize just how much we need our Savior, Jesus Christ. I therefore preach to you the Word of God under the following theme and points. In a dark time for God's nation, the Lord provides hope from the stump of Jesse. We'll look at that hope in three points. The hope of new growth, the hope of the Spirit, and the hope of justice. It was indeed a dark time for God's nation. This prophecy of Isaiah, said before, was given during the reign of King Ahaz, one of the most wicked kings in all of Judah's history. We learn about this in 2 Chronicles 28, where we read that Ahaz did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord like David his father. Instead of worshipping Yahweh, Ahaz worshipped the Baals. He burned incense at the high places. He even sacrificed his sons in the fire. And in this darkness, in this hopelessness, a promise comes. A promise of hope, a promise of deliverance, a promise of new growth, a shoot from the stump of Jesse. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. This is the stump of Jesse. A stump, something that's dead. The lineage had been cut down, it had been deforested, then burned with fire. So a stump here, it's an appropriate metaphor that Isaiah uses. After all, by the time that this shoot sprung up, God's nation had been without a king on the throne of David for nearly 600 years. The people were lost. They were helpless. They were hopeless. They desperately needed a king. And for nearly 400 years, there was silence. For 400 years, the skies above the Israelites were as bronze. They were not blessed with growth. The nation was not thriving anymore. It was barely surviving. They were under the covenant curse for disobedience because they served idols, because they profaned the Sabbath, because they did not care for widows and orphans, they brought this disaster upon themselves. Now this disaster, it's not just limited to the material blessings. Not only the material blessings were absent from the land, but they were a country thirsting for the Holy Spirit. No longer did God speak to the people through the prophets. No longer was his presence in the temple in the way that it had been in the reign of Solomon. We read in 1 Kings 8 that when Solomon had dedicated the temple, a glory cloud filled it. And the glory of the Lord filled that whole place. The Ark of the Covenant was in the most holy place, and once a year the priest would minister before it. This was during the time of Solomon, but no longer. The temple, although it was the house of the Lord, was a shadow of its former glory. The Ark was not there. There was no glory cloud. It was as though heaven's door was shut to the people. Now, of course, we confess that God was still gathering and preserving his church during this time. He's never truly absent from those who call upon his name, but it appears that those kind of people were few and far between. But there would be growth. There would be a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Now, it's surprising that Isaiah would speak of the stump of Jesse. One would think that maybe the stump of David would be a more meaningful metaphor. Because it was to David that God promised a line of kings forever. But this was the stump of Jesse. It's not as though Isaiah made a mistake, as though he said the wrong name. He said this for a reason. It's called the stump of Jesse because the shoot was like another David, the son of Jesse. This spirit filled king, he would not be like the disappointing, disobedient, and disastrous kings that followed in David's lineage. He would not be a son of David in that way. This king would not be another Solomon, who abandoned wisdom for folly. He would not be another Rehoboam, who abandoned wise counsel and laughed in the face of justice, seeking to oppress the people. He would not be another Ahaz, who did not fear the Lord, but instead closed the temple to worship false gods. No, this shoot was a sign of new life, a sign of new hope. Now, a shoot, it's a sign of new life, but there would be more than just a sign. There would be proof. There would be longevity. The shoot, it would not remain small and green, fragile and delicate, but instead, this shoot would flourish into a branch. There would be buds and fruit would appear. The stump that was once devoid of life would truly begin to thrive. There would be a people of God once more. What a hope that was promised. For where there is growth and life, there is hope for tomorrow. And as we look on the dawning of 2019, a year where persecution of Christians may yet increase, a year with corrupt political leaders all across the world, we need this hope too. But this shoot would be a righteous leader, Perfect king. He would be a king like David, but one whose rule would never end. He would be the king who brought spirit led leadership back to God's people. It's our second point the hope of the Spirit. The Spirit awakened. What was he doing? Was he sleeping? No, in fact, as we sang earlier in the service from Psalm 121, the keeper of all Israel will guide and guard you ever. He will sleep and slumber never. So God does not sleep, but sometimes he delays. And we may feel this delay today too. While our situation here in North America is not the same as the situation of Judah in Isaiah's day, we are still under attack. We're not under attack from a foreign country, We're under attack from the devil. Because Satan's attacks, they're not limited to those of a certain geographic region, like Israel. They're not limited to a people of a certain economic status, the poor, the destitute. But instead, Satan's attacks, they're for all Christians. There are those who suffer in this very congregation. And it seems that at this time of the year, the Christmas, New Year time, it's particularly hard for some those with depression, those who have lost a loved one. This life is a hard life. There's no denying that. And God does not call for us to bear it all with a smile on our faces. No, instead we can and we must cry out to him. This cry is one of sorrow, but it's not a cry of hopelessness. We cry in confusion, but we don't cry in despair. So if we can cry like that, what's what's the difference between us and the ancient Israelites? Why can we have hope where they seem to have none? Well, the big difference is that Isaiah's prophecy has been fulfilled. We have hope because a shoot has come out of the stump of Jesse. 2,000 years ago, in the city of David, the town of Jesse, a baby was born. No ordinary child but a child that fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy. A child that fulfilled countless prophecies dating back to the Garden of Eden. This child that was born was Christ the Lord, the long-awaited Messiah, the shoot from the stump of Jesse. And for the Israelites, this prophecy would give them some hope too. Each and every time a new king was crowned, one can imagine that those who remained faithful to the Lord, those who knew of this prophecy, would hope and pray that this king would be the shoot. Maybe Hezekiah would be the shoot. After all, he was a very different king than his father Ahaz. He restored temple worship. The Holy Spirit worked powerfully through Hezekiah, but he was not the promised shoot. King Josiah, he found the book of the law. He showed courage and faithfulness in the midst of an idolatrous nation. Through Josiah, God brought Judah back to faithful service. But Josiah was not the shoot. These men, although righteous before the eyes of God, though they were anointed as king, they were not the Anointed One. Capital A, the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Christ. He would be a king of whom Josiah, Hezekiah, even the great King David would be but a pale imitation For this king would be filled with the spirit of the Lord as no one before him ever was. He would be filled with the spirit of wisdom and understanding. Wisdom enabling him to rule properly, facing reality and dealing with it fairly. Understanding an all-encompassing righteous judgment. These are attributes that would make this shoot the perfect king. We can see this in Mark 1 verse 22 it says, they were astonished at his, that is Jesus, teaching. For he taught as one who had authority, not as the scribes. 1 Corinthians 1 says that Christ Jesus became to us wisdom from God. Righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. He would be filled with the spirit of counsel and might. Counsel, the ability to devise a plan. And might, the ability to carry that plan through. These are practical abilities that allowed our Lord and Savior to accomplish the most important plan in all of human history, the plan of salvation. Coming to earth, taking on human flesh, teaching God's people about what true religion actually was, and then finally, dying for our sins on the cross, coming to life after three days, spoiling the grave, and ascending into heaven to prepare a place for us. This was a plan that only God could plan, A plan that only the God-man, Jesus Christ, could carry it out. And he did it for you. He would be filled with the spirit of knowledge. Jesus Christ would be filled with knowledge. Not just a general knowledge, but a spiritual knowledge. A deep knowledge characterized by love for God. He would have a deep reverence for and humility before his heavenly Father. We read in Luke chapter 5 that Jesus would often withdraw to quiet places and pray. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed in agony that the cup of suffering would be taken from him. Yet, he surrendered his will to that of his Father. He would be filled with the fear of the Lord, and his delight would be in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, what, what a huge concept that is. What does it mean to fear the Lord? The children among us here can probably explain fear rather well. They fear the dark. They might fear new things like going to school for the first time. They might have fear as they perform at Christmas programs, going up on the stage and singing. And the adults, too, we know fear. But is this how the chosen one, is this how Jesus Christ responds to his heavenly Father? In fear and terror? Is that how we are to respond to our heavenly Father? Well, for us, the answer is yes and no. So let's flip back in our Bibles from Isaiah 11, a couple chapters back to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah's vision of the Lord. Isaiah's vision of the Lord will start at verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, and now we have to pause here. Note that since Isaiah prophesied during the reign of King Uzziah, it's likely that this vision comes to Isaiah while he is already a prophet. So keep that in mind. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face. "'With two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. "'And one called to the other and said, "'Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. "'The whole earth is full of his glory. "'And the foundations of the thresholds shook "'at the voice of him who called, "'and the house was filled with smoke. "'And I said, "'Woe is me, for I am lost, "'for I am a man of unclean lips, "'and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips.' For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This is true fear of the Lord. Isaiah feared for his very life. Though he was already a faithful prophet of the Lord, this contrast between the Lord Almighty, the immense heavenly glory of Yahweh himself, this contrast between God and his little prophet, was so great that Isaiah thought that he would die. This is one aspect of what fear of the Lord means. But the fear of the Lord is more than that. Isaiah 6 goes on from there. It doesn't stop there. It goes on and says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. God is so gracious to his prophet. Note that he did not just reassure Isaiah, downplay Isaiah's sin, but instead a seraph took a coal from the altar and atoned for that sin. When his sin was taken away, Isaiah was empowered. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. See, Isaiah is no longer paralyzed by terror. But instead, he begs to be the Lord's servant for this special task. You see, Isaiah moved from fear to fear. This is how we must start too, the first kind of fear. A real terror of the glory and holiness of God. We need to know that we can't stack up. But God says, fear not, your sins have been atoned for. And it is through this that we can be transformed into the other kind of fear, reverence and respect. This transformation, is something that's only possible through our sins being taken away. But we today have something far greater than a coal from the heavenly altar. We have Jesus Christ, the promised shoot. He has fully cleansed us from our sins. And he too delighted in fearing the Lord, that second kind of fear. This reverence and respect for his Heavenly Father, it was central to his earthly ministry. He walked in all of God's ways. He obeyed each of the commandments perfectly. He loved his Heavenly Father above all things, finding his joy, his hope, his confidence and comfort in Yahweh alone. Through the work of Jesus Christ, we are called to do these things. We bear His name as Christians, and so we must follow His example in all that we do. We must serve our God completely with everything that we have, every moment, every breath. But this doesn't sound like joy to me. I'm not sure if it sounds like joy to you. It sounds more like a burden. Unbearable that God would request or rather command us, sinful creatures, to do these things so perfectly. But poor sinner, you forget. You forget that you have hope. You have Jesus Christ. For he did not simply act as an example for us to follow in our own strength. But his perfect obedience is credited to your account before God in heaven. Through him, you have fulfilled the necessary requirements to truly be called a son of God, a daughter of God. What is more than this? You have new life in Christ. The same Spirit who filled Jesus at his baptism also fills you today. The same Spirit who was promised to the shoot of Jesse has been promised to you in your own baptism. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding has been given to you that you might be able to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. The spirit of counsel and might is yours, that you might fight in the Lord's army against the forces of sin and evil. The spirit of knowledge, the fear of the Lord is yours, that you might know the gospel, you might respond to it with overwhelming love that is in your heart. For though you are a great sinner, you have been made into a glorious saint though you were a criminal against the most high god you are now called christian you share in the anointing of christ but the work of our lord and savior is not all accomplished for there is more to come there will be a day when he returns to judge this world and to claim his own and to claim his own and his second coming will usher in the return of justice our last point The return of justice is something that we hope for. We look at the corruption in the world around us. We see presidents and prime ministers who, although there may be some good intentions there, they fail so badly and so often. We do not see justice displayed for the youngest and the oldest among us, but instead abortion and euthanasia seem to reign supreme. In Jesus' time on this earth, he gave a foretaste of the justice that would one day come. He showed radical justice by healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, encouraging those who were under the weight of sin. He gave justice to those who were denied it, and to those who should have shown justice. To the scribes and the Pharisees, he had harsh words for them. He rebuked them for their lack of love and their lack of mercy. He warned them by acting in this way, they were not truly following God, but Satan. This shoot, he would not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Jesus Christ judged righteously. True judgment is not ignoring the evidence around him. Our text does not mean that he would have ignored his sense of sight and ignored his sense of hearing, but instead it means that he went beyond it. He went deeper. The Pharisees were those who judged just by what their eyes could see. Even Jesus' disciples did this, but not Jesus. Jesus saw that the man born blind in John 9 was not being punished for his sin, but instead that this was an opportunity for God's glory to be revealed. The judgment of our Savior is perfect and righteous. He will judge by the heart, for he sees deeply within you. And this can be taken in two ways. For hypocrites, this is a terrifying thing. Maybe those here on earth can be fooled by your pious talk and your religious appearance, but Christ Jesus will not be. So repent of this foolish act and truly serve God with your whole heart. But for those whose heart is filled with love for God, truly, I hope that's everyone here. And some of them... Or maybe downtrodden. They suffer with anxiety or depression. And that love is not so always seen so clearly because of their extra challenges. Then, oh, downtrodden one, rejoice. For you will not be judged by the number of your good deeds. Not by outward appearances, but by the love for God that is in your heart. It's a love that may sometimes feel weak. But it's a love that's truly there, planted in your heart from above. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. This shoot, promised shoot, promised king, he will strike the earth. This is an image of power, an image of justice. By the power of God, the earth will be struck with the rod from his mouth. And we can understand how this rod works in a similar way to how the gospel works. The gospel is a double-edged sword. That at once spells redemption for the righteous and death for the wicked. For this is a rod that brings death, but for the righteous. It brings the total death and destruction of the old nature. For the wicked, it simply brings death and destruction. Their futile plans will come to an end. Their destruction will be eternal and complete. But for our Savior, righteousness will be his belt, faithfulness the sash around his waist. Everything that our Savior, the shoot from the stump of Jesse, everything that he does, he does in righteousness and faithfulness. Every action, every word, every healing or rebuke is done in obedience to the word of God. When he judges, he judges rightly. When he heals, he shows that God is truly faithful to his people. These are qualities that bind all the rest together. These are qualities that are essential to his being. And so what will this justice-filled world look like? What will it be like for the world to be so obviously governed by our King Jesus? We can see this beautiful picture in the verses immediately following our text. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. And later we read, They shall not be hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as waters cover the sea. This is a picture of the world to come, a picture of the world as it truly should be, as it was created to be, because the curse of sin will be undone, This curse that Jesus Christ came into this world to undo. For he did not come into this world to be a cute baby in a manger. The point of Christmas is not the lowing cattle or the bleating sheep. It's about our Lord and Savior coming to earth, fulfilling prophecies, defeating the devil, restoring us to God. So congregation, in this time, at the end of the year, with the horizon of a new year quickly approaching, Remember your need. Remember the darkness of this world. Remember the darkness of your own heart without Christ. But don't stop there. Don't stop in the darkness. For light has come into the darkness. For those walking in darkness, a light has dawned. That old stump, sitting in that field of destruction, has a green shoot rising up from it. There is new hope, for the Spirit has awakened in the Anointed One. His first coming, all those years ago, ushered in a new age of righteousness and justice. A new age that will reach its fulfillment when he returns again in glory. So for us, for you, for me, living between the two comings of Christ, what are we to do? Though the light has dawned, it can still seem so dark, so hard to continue in the faith. But there is hope. For that shoot has grown into a branch. It's a branch that bears fruit. So live your life in hope. This is the season of new beginnings. The season of hope. And that hope does not disappoint. For Christ has come. He was born for my sake and yours. He was born for the redemption of the world. Now we see in a glass darkly. But then we shall see face to face. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. Amen.